So I'd like to invite our spiritual director forward who's going to share with us our opening. He's just going to share. Thank you, Reverend Catherine. All right. Good morning. Welcome. I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me if some of you would like to stand. I know some enjoy that. Please feel free. If not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room and knowing in the I am as we come together today one life God's life, perfect life. And I claim that life as my own in this moment, inviting my words to be your words if they are a good fit. But what I know in choosing that is I choose it, it chooses me each and every time. And I know that I am blessed that my vision of the world around me is transformed each and every time I dip, dip deeply into that sweet space. And I see God in every moment in everything, in everyone. I bless this day. I bless the opportunities, the music, the fellowship, the silence between the words and between the notes. I bless it all. I know it is that everything, everything, everything is unfolding for me and for you. With that said, I know that, that the infinite knows the how, and I choose to live a life that is joyful and delightful and beautiful and powerful. But I need not know all the details. I decide the what, and the universe supports me in the how. What I dwell upon, I become, and I give thanks for the dwelling upon these ideas and more that are richly orbed in the essence of spirit, fully present. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin is actually um, Brian McLeod's brother, so... We didn't mention that, and he has some wonderful CDs back there, so it's great to be able to have him share his gifts with us this morning. And speaking of someone sharing their gifts, I have um, been in ministry and in our movement for over 20 years, and someone that has been a tremendous teacher and mentor over the years for me. We've had him spend time with us in the past in a retreat format, uh, and uh, this past weekend we tried it again, and, and it was quite not the, the momentum and the, and the group dynamic that made it optimal, so we decided to postpone it. So we're going to look at a date farther out uh, to, to bring it back, because it's a wonderful experience, and we've done it three times previously here, and, and uh, um, we just know that in summertime people are, are out doing other things as well, so we want to honor that. But... Um, this individual has, has touched my life in so many ways. He was someone that actually 
uh, modeled for me and, and um, made it okay for me to have some of the ideas that I brought to this movement because when I first came to our teaching and I found it and loved it and as I got into ministry, um, I wasn't sure that I fit. And, um, and he was someone that has helped mentor and, and coach me and teach in ways that have been wonderful in my path and has helped transform the consciousness of our community. And so I just am so delighted we've had an opportunity because the, the workshop was postponed. We've had a, Laura and I have had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with, with uh, him, and it's just been a delight and, and wonderful to have in our home. He cooked a beautiful meal for us last night, and we really enjoyed that. And uh, he's on a motorcycle trip, started in Redding, California, went all the way to Chicago and across the United States to Toronto, and then he's working his way back across Canada. He was in Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary next week, and then he's going to be at White Rock. Uh, down the road. So we're really blessed to have him with us in whatever capacity it may be. One thirty, he's going to be uh, uh, doing a two-hour presentation. The world is as you see it. Please help me welcome Reverend Dr. James Golden. Always be prepared. When you wake up in the morning... There's so many ways your mind can begin to think. You ever notice that? And truly, the mind, where your mind goes, is where your whole life will follow. And if we're not careful, our mind takes us places we actually don't even want to go. Maybe you've noticed that. Because the mind is capable of heaven. And no question about it, the mind is capable of hell. And you've been both places many times. I mean, haven't you been in that place in your heart and your mind? You're so content. You're so happy. You're so filled with love. Life seems wonderful. And... You're so unhappy, discontent, maybe angry or frustrated. There's a great saying by a very wise man of of our time. He's passed away now, but Krishnamurti. And he said, the condition of the world is the condition of the human mind. And I think that's really true collectively, and it's certainly true individually. You know, um, the ideas that we have, so certainly here in this center, but there are so many other teachings of all different kinds and flavors that have very, very many of the same ideas that you hear here and practice in your own life. Point being that so many human beings have very, very good spiritual understanding. They know there is something more going on around here. There's something God or spirit or a higher power. They're aware that as within, so without. That it's done unto them as they believe. That they reap what they sow. You know, in various spiritual teachings that are actually extremely common... And whether a person even participates in a spiritual community, they know that. 
But of course, it's one thing to know that and another thing to practice it very consistently. And that's really what the spiritual path is about. It's not just gaining the ideas and the knowledge and the wisdom from great teachers, confirming them in our own hearts, but it's really asking ourselves, okay, self, how well am I practicing these spiritual truths? So, for instance, oh, you wake up in the morning, oh, thought. What is that thought? You know, and that thought can be such a beautiful day. Oh. And, of course, that thought can be, oh, you know, today. Oh, today I have to do this, that, and the other thing. Oh, oy vey. You know, <laughs> it's today. So here's a little story. It seems like, uh, and these are stories from Eastern spiritual tradition, and the, the, the main character's name is Nasrudin. So he's just all of us. He's sort of like parables in the Christian tradition. But in this particular story, it's many thousands of years ago, and there's not modern transportation. There's not airplanes and trains and cars and buses and trucks. Uh, in fact, everything is just moved on, like donkeys and camels and things like that. And Nasrudin's a merchant, so he takes his donkey, he loads it all up with his stuff, and then he goes from town to town. So this is exactly what he was doing. He was going to a new town, and he'd been uh, doing this for many years, and he knew that his donkey, who carried all of his wares, had a very peculiar habit that often got him in trouble. It seems that his donkey loved chickpeas, garbanzo beans. In fact, the donkey loved them so much that if he saw some or he smelled some, he became uncontrollable. And the donkey would just use all of its power and, and all of its whatever it could do to go eat chickpeas. So this had led to many disastrous moments for Nasruddin. So he thought to himself, you know, when I go into this new town, before I bring my donkey, I'm going to leave him outside the gate, and I'm going to go up and down the streets that I might be on, and I'm going to find out anybody that's selling chickpeas, and I'm going to really stay away from those. So that's what he did. He was really trying to be prepared. So he did that and uh, went out, uh, got his donkey, and started leading the donkey into town to set up his little stall. Well, in the short time that he was gone a chickpea merchant set up his stall right next to where Nasruddin was going to be. Wouldn't you know? So Nasruddin's leading his donkey down the road, and he's very carefully weaving up one alley down another, avoiding all the places that have chickpeas. And he gets to his place, chickpea merchant. And that merchant had just put out a big old bushel of chickpeas. In this open-air market, all the chickpeas are exposed. That donkey was so happy. The donkey, oh, Allah, 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 thank you, Allah, oh, praise me, Allah, you know, chickpeas. So the donkey starts to eat the chickpeas. You can imagine, you know, a donkey doesn't just delicately pick up one little chickpea with his little front paw. You know, so his muzzle and, you know, he's kind of drooling and is in this bag of chickpeas. So the merchant that's selling the chickpeas gets very upset. You know, 
hey, who, you know, whose donkey is this? And look, he's eating everything. And, and the ones, you know, nobody's going to want to buy from me now. The donkey's muzzle's been in the whole bag. They're all spoiled. Who's going to pay for it? You know, all that stuff. Well, and Nasruddin's like, you know, come on, donkey, don't, come on, don't do that, you know, and doing everything he can, and the donkey could care less. He's just having a great old time eating his chickpeas, and so Nasruddin's desperate. Things are getting out of control. A crowd's gathering around. Uh, so in desperation, he rears back, Nasruddin does, and he gives his donkey a big old kick in the rear, and the donkey rears up on his hind legs, and of course, Nasruddin's stuff is on the donkey's back, all of his wares that he's brought to the town. And he can tell, Nasruddin sees this, this donkey is going to bolt. You know, God knows where he'll go and how much stuff will fall off. So he throws his arm around the donkey's neck and holds on, and the donkey bolts. So then all around the alleys in the street, there's Nasruddin holding on to the donkey. He's just running for everything he's worth. You know, cups are falling out, and all of his wares are falling off the donkey, and people are opening their windows, and the donkey just bolts out the main street, He heads for the gate that goes out of the town. And the gate guard sees this coming, and he opens the gate, you know, and he says, Nasruddin, where are you going? And Nasruddin's, you know, going by pretty fast. I don't know. Ask the donkey. Silly story. (laughs) But, of course, the donkey is our mind. Where are you going? I don't know. Ask my mind. Have you ever noticed that our mind tends to be triggered very easily? And so you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I went to that spiritual place, that church place, and they talked about all kinds of spiritual stuff. Hoorah, I'm all over it. I'm into that. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to love everybody. You know, that's the way to go. No question about it. Love everybody. That's me. You know, sit down. Amdullah, Amdullah, blah, 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 blah. Spiritual stuff, spiritual stuff, spiritual stuff. God help me love everybody. I want to love everybody. I'm loving everybody from now on. I'm all over it. So we get into our car. And like two blocks away, somebody doesn't stop at a stop sign. The first person that we don't love. (laughs) Why? Because the mind can be so easily triggered, even though we have such a beautiful intention, a real intention. I'm going to love everybody. And even if we do spiritual practice and, and say prayers or meditate or, you know, or read to, to connect with that love, which is a wonderful thing, I highly recommend it, still, even a small incident can trigger thoughts in the mind. And when a thought in the mind is triggered... They say in the East it's a vilkulpa, a thought form. And a vilkulpa very quickly gives birth to many children. The thought of the thought, the thought of the thought of the thought, the thought of the thought of the thought of the thought, etc., etc., etc. And if we're not very skillful in paying attention, we may notice that we got up in the morning decided to love everybody, got out of our driveway and had a little traffic thing. That stirred us up. And the next thing you know, we have forgotten to love everybody for an hour or a day or a week or a month or a year or a lifetime. The mind. The mind is like that. And it's not because it's evil or bad or it really should even be different than it is. This is the nature of 
of the mind. You know, it's kind of like the nature of, of why it rains. It's something that exists. It's natural. It's organic. It's fine. But what's not fine is if understanding all of this, we over-identify with the mind. Because the mind is not all of us. It's a part of us. You know, it's one important, vital, beautiful part of our true nature, the mind. You know, if you don't have your mind, try balancing your checkbook. You know, it's not really an intuitive process. You know, it's, it's get the numbers out and look at it. Try going from point A to point B, you know, like navigating your car, and just leave your mind home. You know, don't drive your car without your mind. You know, your mind's very important. You know, there's like rules of the road and stuff, and like how all the gears and levers work in your car. The mind's beautiful. If you go to the grocery store without your mind, you have no idea what to bring home. It's great. The mind's great. However, if you're hanging out with your beloved, and whoever that is for you, you know, whether it's a wife or a husband or a spouse, a partner, good friend, family members, you know, whoever it might be. And these are people that you actually really do love and like. And even in the midst of all of that, they did it again. And they always do that. That really annoys me when they do that. The mind can begin to have thoughts about the people that we love the most. The mind loves to tell stories. Good stories, that's good, but often not so good stories. Oh, yeah, here comes Wilma. And before poor Wilma has even spoken a word today, we've already decided she's an idiot or something like that in the mind. So one has to become very skillful with their mind. One has to see that there's so much more to us than this mind. And that would be why we do, for instance, a meditation or a spiritual practice to dive deeper than the mind, to go inside. So here's a little quote that I think uh, hopefully is illuminating in this idea of the mind. And it actually comes from uh, some Eastern spiritual scriptures that are, you know, actually a little bit older than... uh, for instance, the Christian scriptures. So it's an idea that's nothing new. It's not some new author coming up with this. It's a very ancient idea that came forward in a world that was very different from the world we had. It wasn't people, you know, with uh, iPads and iPhones and cell phones and Internet and, and computers and, you know, all the things in our world, which are all fine. This is an idea that came forward in, when people were without electricity, often had no reading or writing skill, except for some of the scholars or more learned people that were fortunate. You know, a very different time. And yet, of course, it doesn't really matter what our age or time or what historical period we're born in. The mind's the same in a human being. So it says, in the Yoga Vashuta, so that's the name of the scripture, there's a great and mysterious statement The world is as you see it. Whatever feeling you have within you is the feeling you will project onto the world. Therefore, according to your vision, 
the world becomes good or bad, pleasurable or painful, a storehouse of happiness or a mine of sorrow. It is your own attitude that bears fruit for you and makes you who you are. Such a simple spiritual truth, you know. Probably nobody here said, oh my God, I never thought of something like that. I mean, you guys, you, you know that. You can say it forward and backward. You can repeat it in your sleep. You can give advice to your friends. You, you know, it's like, duh. But of course, the invitation is to look and say, how thoroughly do I practice that? You know, if it's my inner attitude which projects on the screen of my life, hmm, I might want to examine my inner attitude. Or you can actually, in our teaching is so great, you can, you can work backward. Let's see, what does my life look like? Let me find the attitudes that are that and that and that and that and that. You know, the parts of our life that aren't working for us. The relationships that aren't filled with love, but are filled with something quite different than love that's very unpleasant. The parts of our life where maybe we're just flat out bored. Just bored. You know, boredom is suffering. You know, it might not be the worst form of suffering any human being's ever experienced, but boredom is suffering. If you're in the grocery store and there's a long line, and you think to yourself, oh man, there's a long line. I'm going to be here forever. And now look, that person's talking to the clerk, you know. Will you move it, buddy? You know, you might not say that out loud, hopefully, but suffering, impatience. Impatience is suffering. You know, it, it really is like drinking something that'll make you sick, eating food that's spoiled. And in the same way, that would make your physical body not able to operate well. If our inner attitude, if our point of view, if our thought process is that which is suffering or limitation, it affects us. It begins to color everything. And a lot of people may not have seen it all the way or put the pieces together. You know, one of the reasons um, that things that happen in a relationship, a very beautiful relationship that someone has with somebody else, you know, whatever it is, is that even though there's really a lot of love in that relationship, and these people have come together and found each other, and they're very happy about that. But each can go out into the world, and if not paying strict attention to the mind, begin to eat all this spoiled food, begin to be unhappy about the job, and, and you know, who's there and how it all flows, begin to be worried about the economics of the household. Read the newspaper, you know, and think, oh, man, it's so bad or terrible, or, and get caught in traffic. And the next thing you know, even though we come home to the person that we treasure and cherish, we're sick, spiritually speaking. We're unwell, unbalanced, might even say unhinged. And if we're not skillful, even though we really love this person and we want to be home and we want to have a nice time and you know, kind of relax, we actually say unkind things or have an attitude or a little chip on our shoulder or what, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this can happen and become so normal and so regular 
that we're not living the life that we want to live. And then if the mind's unskillful, the mind says, well, it must be because this other person is not the right person for me, or the job's not the right job, or the house is not the right house, or the, or the you know, and it, it, the mind's uh, unfortunate uh, capacity may be to look outside of itself, to see if it can find what it is that uh, is spoiling what's going on. And, you know, sometimes, of course, it's important that we change things in our life. Of course it is. But the first thing to change is always our own mind, our own inner understanding. You know, do the work first in one's own self. So truly the world is as you see it. And the invitation is to be very clear, be very disciplined, be very skillful. Know thyself. Understand yourself. There really is nothing wrong with the world. You know, may it be that all beings are skillful, that all beings are deeply in touch with what is eternally true. May it be that all beings speak only kindness and compassion and love. May it be that the actions that we take individually and collectively only benefit ourselves and other people. But as you can see, all too readily, that's not how the world is yet. There still are unskillful words and actions individually and collectively. And yet it's the world. It's the world we live in. And by finding fault with the world or other people or ourselves, we actually contribute to what's not working. The condition of the world is the condition of the human mind. So the greatest contribution any one of us can really bring to ourselves, people that we love, to the world, is a clear mind, a mind that's not always being triggered by events and going down paths that we don't want to go down. So, you know, I really would recommend whatever practice you're most familiar with or comfortable with, whether it's a prayer or a meditation or an affirmation or reading, you know, maybe it's, uh, it was mentioned at the beginning of the service, there's new classes starting. You know, maybe that's a vehicle to immerse yourself in, in spiritual teaching more thoroughly, more regularly. You know, you can figure out what it is for you. But, um, you know, really nobody can do it for you. You know, you might think that if you could, you know, whatever it would be in this magical idea... So let's bring Mother Teresa, St. Francis, Jesus, Buddha, you know, nice handful of enlightened beings, and you get to take them home with you. They will be with you 24-7. They're to support you and love you and speak the highest spiritual truth. But not one of those beings can change your mind for you. They can, they can meditate. They can shower you with grace and love. They can trigger that inner knowing in your heart. But only you can change your mind. You know, move your mind from where it might be that's not skillful to where it is that it's skillful. And this truly is the spiritual path. And um, as you can see, 
it really isn't all that popular. You know, I'm not saying coming in touch with spiritual ideas isn't popular. It's very popular. Thank God. Thank God millions and billions of people like spiritual ideas. You know, and thank God that, by and large, most people believe in those ideas and would like to see them grow in themselves and others. Thank God. This is really a good thing. But contacting teachings and even saying, you know, I believe in them. Give me the piece of paper. I'll sign it. You know, I'll sign the 10 stuff of spiritual stuff, and, you know, I'll sign up for that stuff. That's good stuff. As great as that is, what really counts is what happens in your own mind in the simple things of everyday living, in the simple things of driving your car. That's who you are, the one behind the wheel, a saint or not, you know? What would a saint do? Please, go in front of me. I'm not in a rush. I would like to see you arrive at your destination safely with happiness and love. Please. What if everybody were to drive like that? No war, no crime, and a whole different evolution of our society. There'd be a heck of a lot fewer places to go because we'd already be there. If you practice your spiritual teaching when you're in the grocery store, and that, you know, your spiritual teaching isn't like, can I get a parking spot? Can I get a parking spot? Om, om, om. That would be a rather shallow spiritual teaching. You know, the whole universe isn't going to, you know, erupt and, and tell you you're wrong or anything. It's not wrong. It's shallow. That's what it is. It's just like, eh. You know, you can do that for a million lifetimes. Okay, so you got your yogurt out to your car two seconds faster. You know? I don't think that's a sign of self-realization. But how about when you go to the grocery store and you see a nice parking space very close to the door, you leave it for somebody else and park further away. You know, there's this little thing. I hate to bring it up, but this... uh, It's not as you take you receive. It's as you give. See, this is a weird thing. Give what you want to receive. And then more and more of that will come in your life. But then you have to give it away anyway. And what happens then? Your mind is transformed. Your heart is transformed. And therein lies the transformation of everything else in your life and the life of those around you. When you go to the grocery store and there's a long line, say to yourself, I'm fortunate. I'm so fortunate. You know, in fact, go to the line that's not the shortest. You know, you might say, well, oh my God, you know, how am I ever going to get home if I do this? Leave a half an hour earlier so you have the time to be awake, so that you're not rushed. That's part of skillfulness. That's part of being awake in the dream. That's part of knowing God. Create your life in such a way that you can practice your spiritual values. And when you're in line, you know, whatever you like to do, if you have a spiritual affirmation or a mantra, or just stand there and pour out blessings from your heart. May the person in front of me be blessed. 
You know, you don't have to know who they are. You don't have to say anything. Say, hey, hey, buddy, you want a blessing? You know, it's better just to be quiet about this. But you can smile, and you can be kind. You can be content. You can be patient. You can be whole. You can be complete. You can be alive. You can actually be filled with God and know it and feel it with every cell of your being, with every fiber of your brain. Great teacher Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, you have arrived. And he didn't just say that. I mean, he did say it when you went to his monastery. But it was a teaching about in this moment, when you wake up in the morning, you have arrived. When you're interacting with another human being, whoever they are, you have arrived. When you're in the bank and there's a line, you have arrived. This is it. You know, this is the form of God in this plane. Anyway, we'll talk more about this stuff later if you're interested in the retreat. But I should be quiet now, so, so it is. <laughs>